Welcome to the Real Estate 360 Podcast. This is your man, Jason Miles. And today we're going to talk all about uh, multifamily due diligence checklists. So we have had a lot of communication recently with people that are interested in you know, multifamily, multifamily financing, and, and how to get these things done, how to evaluate them and so on and so forth. So we're going to spend some time you know, going through what this actually looks like. And once you've done the numbers and you've got an understanding of what the numbers look like, you're going to have to go through a pretty extensive checklist. I mean, not a lot of people do it, but I think it's extremely important to ask for the things. Even though we know you're not going to get all of them, you still have to ask for all of them. You get what you can get, and it just depends on who you're buying from, right? So we're going to get to this due diligence checklist right after this. All right, welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us. Listen, first let me say Happy New Year. This is um, the first episode of 2022. So Happy New Year and uh, be ready for all the great things that are coming your way, right? You got to put in the work though. And it's going to start with what we're doing. If you're interested in multifamily, uh, make sure that you download this form. I'm going to have this form below uh, in the description. So you can just hit the link and download this and it'll be there for you so that you can implement it in your strategy. These things are things that you are going to absolutely want to have in your arsenal. You want to ask for all these things. Again, you may not get them all. It depends on who you're buying from. And if you're buying from mom and pops, stuff like that, you know, self-managed, a lot of times they're not going to have all these things, but you may not be buying from them for long. You know, at some point you're going to be buying bigger properties. At least that's the goal, right? At some point you're going to be doing that and having a due diligence checklist that asks for all of the things that you're going to need, especially when you're going to get financing. If you're going to get agency debt, which is, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie, uh, Mac money, they're going to ask for all these things and you're going to need to find a way to put these things together. There are, there are uh, companies out there that can work with you to do that, but I think it's important that you understand exactly what it is you need to gather before you start going to spend money on having people gather and or create these things for you. Okay. So let's get right into it. Now, the very first thing that you're going to want to make sure that you come across here is the leases, right? Uh, the leases can be either digital or hard copy. Sometimes we wind up getting both. Now, why is that important? Well, the lender's going to want to see that and you're going to want to see that and whatever management situation you have in place is going to want to see that. You need to know who's in your property so that you can find out when it's going to be time to for the lease to be extended or if that person is going to move out or if you're going to increase the rents, which is generally what we see happening today, right? Pretty substantial raises, uh, increases in rents, but you're going to want to have that and make sure that they send that to you every single month. So let's say that you're getting this, you know, you're under contract, you're going through your due diligence, you send them this checklist and they send you, you know, the rent 
the leases as of January 6th, right? Well, this financing could go on for 45 days, 60 days, even 90 days in some cases, depending on how fast you can get the information over to the lender. So that means any changes in the leases in February, you're going to want to get access to that. Any extensions, um, any uh, uh, non-extensions, people that have moved out and decided not to extend their lease, any new leases at all, you're going to want to get that. So you're going to want to do that month over month as you're going through this process. And believe me, the lender is going to ask you for that. So that's why it's important, right? It's really important that you do that. So make sure you get it. Now, uh, going back to our list of things that are necessary. Now we're going to go into all existing vendor services and personal contracts. And what is that? You know, what are vendor services? Well, vendor services are things like vending machines. If you don't own them and maybe there's one or two on the property and somebody's paying you for those machines to be there, that's a vendor service or washers and dryers. If you don't own them, but a company is paying you a percentage or whatever the case or a flat fee for them to have those machines there, you know, those are vendor, ser vendor services. Um, personal contracts could be, you know, your maintenance guy could be your lawn service company. It's, it's all of those things, right? Any contracts that you have that are either bringing money in or going out that is a contract now, a contract, you want to make sure that those things you're gathering so that you can see, you know, what, what's the promise? Is there a way out? Maybe you don't want to work with this lawn service. You want to work with another one. Maybe you've got a relationship with a laundry service and you don't want to deal with that one. Is there a loophole in that contract for you to get out or not? You know, how long do you have to stay in it? That contract is going to tell you exactly what you need to do and how you need to move forward. So it's part of your plan. You want to get that. A lot of people overlook those kinds of things. And there's so many different things that there could be, you know, um, I mean, just, there's just a lot of different things that there could be. So you just want to make sure that you're looking at what those things can be for you. Okay. Now, the next one is trailing three years certified operation statements to include a detailed cost of major repairs. Why is that important? Well, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. You know, three years of certified operating statements, meaning, you know, here's our income, our balance sheet annuals, right? Here's what we've been doing. Uh, here are any major repairs. We did the roof or we had to uh, dig up a water line in the yard or in the street and put a new one in drainage or whatever the case, those are considered to be major things. And if you're buying older properties, properties, depending on where you are in the country, really anywhere, if you're buying properties that were built in the mid sixties, for instance, uh, they have terracotta plumbing. I mean, I don't understand outside, right? I don't understand why they would have used that, but that was, the material of choice back then. And you're going to want to know if that's been repaired or replaced because if it hasn't, it is an expense that you very well may need to incur in the next few years, depending on what your investment strategy is. You know, even if you're going in to um, renovate this property, you know, stabilize it and then sell it in 12 months or 18 months, 
that's something that other people are going to look at as well. And you need to be familiar with that. And if you're not, it can cost you a lot of money later on, period, point blank, because it is very expensive to dig those things up. Trust me, I've done it. I did it, but uh, being aware that we needed to do it. So I made my offer contingent upon, you know, these kinds of things. My price was based on knowing what kind of repairs we needed to get done. But that's a big one. Any major repairs that were done or weren't done are going to be important for you to understand up front. So you're going to have to be there, right? So now getting back into the next one here. Your current rent roll, tenant ledger, and accounts receivable. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, I got the leases. Why do I need, you know, the rent roll? Well, the rent roll is telling you who's paying, who's behind, how far they're behind, what kind of deals were put together. Obviously, you won't see the deal, but if the person is behind two or three months, there's obviously been some kind of communication with the current owner of the property. And those are the kind of things that you want to know your tenant ledger and your rent roll and accounts receivable reports are, you know, all built into certain softwares that this person may or may not be using. They may be using a handwritten ledger. I mean, I've seen that. We've bought properties where people just had something written on paper, on a sheet of paper, <laughs> literally. I mean, you'll get all kinds of stuff and that's obviously something they just threw together, but that's real. I mean, you're, you're going to see stuff like that. So, in asking for the rent roll, tenant ledger, and accounts receivable, it could be your bank statements. We're going to get into that though. Uh, these are the things that are going to tell you where the property sits, how many people are paying, how many people are not paying, what's the occupancy. All those things are going to be made evident to you by asking for this kind of uh, information. Okay, so that, that's why that one is really important. You don't you don't want to miss out on it. Okay. All right. So our next item here is going to be the current applicant screening criteria and a trailing tw 12 months uh, of the acceptance rate. Now, again, how they're putting people in is probably going to be different than the way you put people into the property, but you want to know what they're looking at because there could be potential liabilities. Maybe they're not looking at anything. You know, maybe they're putting people in these places that shouldn't be in these places because there are people with certain criminal backgrounds that probably shouldn't be in your apartment complex. And that's just the way that is. I mean, you don't want to have people uh, that are, have certain, you know, sex offenders, for instance. You need to be aware of these kinds of things because there could be liability there if something happens to someone's child or, uh, you know, anyone for that matter, knowing that there's um, certain kind of criminals or ex-offenders, whatever, however you want to place it on that property. You need to be aware of that. That is extremely important because it could be a point of liability. So how they've screened people is going to tell you how you're going to have to deal with the current tenant base. Because again, you'll probably have a very, very different way of screening people. Depends on the management that you have in place. Maybe you have an internal process. Maybe you're dealing with um, a property manager that's in that particular area. It's more than likely going to be different for the person or the company that you're buying from. It could be, you know, maybe, maybe not. It depends on the kind of property you're buying. It depends on who you're buying it from. There's a lot of, there, there are a lot of, um, 
uh, things to look at there in terms of who you're getting it from and how they're put together as well. I often talk about this from, you know, purchasing from small mom and pops, right? Individual owners, you know, little mom and pops, people trying to get this, uh, you know, portfolio up because a lot of times they don't have this stuff. They, they don't, they don't op I mean, it's not that they're broke. It's not that they don't want to manage it correctly. It's just that they're not really good managers, right? You know, they're not really good operators. Operations are the key to finding success in a multifamily business, period, point blank. And everybody doesn't operate the same. So when you're building your operation systems, these are things that you're going to want to put in place. And going back to what we're talking about now, the current application for, you know, uh, applicant screening and the 12 months of acceptance. A lot of people won't have this. What is the 12 months of acceptance? The 12 months of acceptance is how many people applied as opposed to how many people actually moved in, right? Sometimes you'll find people that just take applications even there, even though there are no vacancies so that they can reach out to them when there is a vacancy. Hey, we have a vacancy coming up in a month or, or 60 days. This person isn't going to renew their lease. We'll have, you know, a three bedroom, two bathroom available on, you know, March 1st, whatever the case. So that will tell you, you know, how many applications are coming in, how many people are actually getting accepted. If there is a high vacancy rate and there's a lot of people that are being turned down, now we're looking at, okay, what's the criteria? Who are you looking at as opposed to who's applying? You know, what, what are we doing? Um, or what have you been doing to turn these people away? And are they people that we could work with or not? Right? So you're going to, you're looking for ways that you can not just save money in different capacities based on how they're operating, but ways that you can increase cash flow in general. So a lot of times people will go into a situation with multifamily and say, okay, how can I go in here and raise rents? to make more money, to increase value. Yes, you want to do that, but more often than not, especially when you're getting into the, you know, class A and B properties or a very, very well-run C class property, it's not about finding ways to increase. It's about finding ways to save money. What can we do more efficiently than this company? You know, period, point blank. And there could be a lot of different things that you go about. That's another conversation. But those are the kind of things that you look at. And that's why you ask for those applications. So we'll go right on uh, to the next one here. All right. So now the up-to-date trailing 12-month income and expense and accounts receivable. You just want the 12 months so you can see what's been going on. You know, what kind of income has been coming in? What kind of expenses? Accounts receivable, meaning do any of our vendors owe us money? You know, do we have money coming in from anywhere? Are there lawsuits or whatever? Do we have money coming in from anywhere? And how much do we have going out? This is going to help you uh, hone in on what your actual, you know, NOI is when you're, when you're going in over a 12-month period. It's also going to, again show any inconsistencies, poke holes basically into what you've, you know, tentatively agreed on based on not having all this information, because sometimes making an offer isn't the place that you wind up. I mean, you could make an offer. I mean, well, let's just say, you know, you make an offer for a million dollars on a property, but you go through this and you see that there's all kind of different places that 
there's there are things that are missing. Vacancy isn't, you know, or I should say occupancy isn't what it was touted to be, or the rents aren't coming in the way they said they were, or there's so much money outstanding from tenants, you really can't count that tenant, right? Because you're probably going to want to put them out or need to put them out if they're three or even four months behind, depending on the situation. So those accounts receivable and those income and expense reports are going to be vital for you to make sure that you got a, a really, really good deal or just the deal that you want to have, right? Okay. So the budgeted forecast for major repairs, meaning whenever you're holding real estate, you, you have to, or at least you should make sure you're putting some monies away for major repairs in the future, or even minor repairs in the future, because you're going to have them when you turn a property or when you turn a unit, when someone leaves, uh, you're going to have to go in and clean, maybe replace the carpet, paint the walls, change the locks. Those things have to be budgeted for. But when you're budgeting for major repairs, that means, okay, we know the roof is 15 years old right now, and it's a 25 year roof. So we've been putting money away a little bit every month so that we can cover the roof when it's time to pay for a new roof or to put HVAC units in because we didn't put HVAC units in when we initially got it. They were already there, but they were kind of, they were older. So we knew we needed to put money away for that. All of those things are going to actually matter um, because it shows you what they've been thinking of, what they haven't done as it relates to any future CapEx, capital expenditures that is. So you're going to want to know what they've been looking at, if they've even been looking at it. And your inspections are going to help that along the way as well. Okay, perfect. Moving on to the uh, next line item, we have the current balance sheet, right? Your current balance sheet, self-explanatory. We want to know what kind of money has been coming in and going out. What are you looking at right now? Do you have money in the bank? Have you taken all the money out? Where is that CapEx expense? Where is the uh, repair expense for the turns? What kind of working capital basically is in there for any people that we have to pay, any employees that we have to pay, or the, um, uh, the deposits that we'll have to return in the event that we have to return deposits? All that is going to actually matter, and it'll all be listed on that balance sheet. You need that, okay? Perfect. So moving forward, we are now going into our trailing 12-month turnover lease concession matrix. Now, this is really, really tricky, right? So how can I explain this properly? So having a, a, a turnover and lease concession means how many people are moving out that we have to give them, you know, their deposit back. How many on a monthly basis do we need to prepare for? You know, do you have an understanding of what that looks looks like for your for the way you operate, for the way they your buyer seller, excuse me, is operating? Are they looking at their turnover? Okay, let's say it's a 50 unit building and you know there's seven people on a monthly basis that are moving out. But they're telling you that, but are they showing you it? Are they prepared for it? And that uh, turnover and lease concession is going to show you 
that they're paying attention to it and that they're budgeted for it. Now, I've probably bought, I don't know, a couple hundred units and I haven't, I have never gotten one of those forms, but I ask for it all the time. I know those forms exist because I work with people that have those, you know, I learned how to forecast for them as well. So it's imperative that some of this documentation is in place for when you want to sell the way you want to sell. If you want to maximize your, your, your profit on the back end and you're operating really, really efficiently, this is going to help you operate efficiently. And when you do go to sell it and someone asks you for these things and you can give it to them, it, it basically justifies whatever your asking price is. Right now, of course, if you've got a C class, a low C class property, and even though you're operating efficiently, but that area may be selling at a nine cap, you may get an eight or a seven and a half, but that would be, you know, at, at very, very best. You can't go asking to sell it at a, at a four or a five cap when the market is demanding in that particular area a nine. You, you do have some room to, to wiggle if you're operating very, very efficiently. Okay. So uh, I would encourage you to put these into your investment strategy, get software and uh, that is going to allow this to work well for you and make sure that your accountants are in place because a lot of that is going to be on them as well. So let's move forward here and we're going to go to our trailing 12 months mechanical contractor expense report with contact information. Now, what is that? Mechanical contractor expense report. This means for any of your mechanicals, your plumbing, your HVAC, your electrical, anybody that you're working with, how much you have paid them and their contact information so that we can follow up with them, so we can have a conversation with them. We want to be able to talk to these people and say, hey, listen, we know that you've been working on this property for the past three years. You know, they've called you in to fix these kinds of things. We see what these kind of things kinds of things are. Are there any major concerns from your perspective? Does this property need a, you know, does the electric need to be replaced? Or, you know, what have you been doing? Are you just putting band-aids on these big open wounds? Or are you just fixing minor things when they call you in? That gives us an idea as the buyer of again what's going on with the mechanicals. How's the HVAC? You know, how's the plumbing? You know, these things are really, really important. If you don't have these things in place, you could again be setting yourself up for a huge expense later on. Now, again, let me say, if they don't have these things and a lot of the smaller mom and pops are just not gonna have them, you still have to do the inspections. You, you wanna go ahead and spring for the inspections. You need them because you don't wanna have an $80,000 surprise. It could even be more. So you, you just don't wanna have that, especially if you're not financially prepared for it, if it's not sitting in the bank. That's why you ask for these things, okay? All right, moving on to the next one. Trailing three years of tax bills and receipt of payment. Why is that important? I mean, some people say that's not very, very important, but you want to see what you're looking for is an increase in taxes. You're looking for millage rates. And yes, you can call a tax assessor and you can get all that information. And yes, a lot of sellers may not have it or may not be willing to share that particular um, a set of information with you, it's, you know, it's up in the air, right? But having an understanding of how the property was assessed 
from the tax assessor, how they were paid gives you a millage rate. Again, you can go to the tax assessor to get the exact same information uh, and you can know exactly if they're current. Even if they're not current, it doesn't really matter to you in this case because if you do go through with the purchase of this property, whatever you're paying them is, you know, the, the government is going to take theirs off the top anyway. So we, you know that it's going to be taken care of. But again, you want to know what kind of situation you're in because, hey, let's, let's say, for instance, that, you know, these people are behind in their taxes. They haven't paid for a couple years and they don't have the money to pay because it's not running efficiently. It's not prop, it's the, the property isn't uh, producing cash flow enough to take care of those taxes. So they're behind. Well, there could be a tax sale coming up that is pushing them to want to make a deal as fast as possible. That's a negotiating point for you. You know, I hate to say it that way, but we're in business, right? And being in business, we want to get the best price that we can for a thing so that we can maximize our profit later on. Doesn't mean we want to steal it from these people. We want everybody to walk away from the table happy, right? But it does give you leverage to make potentially a better deal if you have all this information and you want to have it. So going on to the next one. Details of current real estate tax appeal and contact information. So it goes back to the first one that we were just talking about. If you're gathering this tax information, you're going to know if there has been a tax spike. That's why we're asking for these. And if they've appealed that process, maybe they didn't appeal it. If, if they didn't pay it, maybe they are appealing it. You want to know, right? So those last two, they kind of go hand in hand because it's giving you the information that you need. If the local municipality is saying that property, you know, has doubled in value in a year, you definitely want to go ahead and appeal. Not you, but them, right? And they may be in the midst in the middle, excuse me, of that appellate process, or, you know, you're going to want to know that because it's going to matter if they're not paying the taxes and you're buying the property while they're still going through that appeal process, it could affect your purchase. It very well could affect your purchase. So you have to be aware of what that looks like. Okay. Current detail of staff and payroll expenses. Now, a lot of this is gonna be in the documentation that you've asked for already, but you want it to be detailed. You know, if you've got on-site maintenance, maybe you've got, maybe they've got on-site management, maybe, you know, you're paying a tenant, uh, you've got them on salary, on payroll, and they do your lawn maintenance or whatever the case. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you're going to encounter as you talk to these owners. But you want to see what kind of staff they have, what that payroll expense is, because I'll tell you why this one is important. Because as I said earlier, it's not always about raising rents. Maybe you can operate this more efficiently than them. Maybe they've got four people on staff and you don't need four. You just need two or three because of the way you operate and the responsibilities you give that those two or three people. That's going to save you money. Um, your payroll is probably the number one place to start as it relates to saving money in, in a multifamily or any really any business. How can you be more efficient in your payroll operations? What they're paying may not be what you pay. 
which is going to affect the NOI in which they're selling it at. A lot of times you'll see owners omit some of this information to bump up the NOI. And by asking for all this information, you'll see if what they've given you is true or not. That again gives you leverage to go back and negotiate and renegotiate in the event that you need to based on the information that you're going to find from your gatherings. Okay. And, and that's why that's important. I mean, some of this may seem redundant. The reason it seems that way is because you may be able to tell me a story here, but the information that I'm asking, I'm asking for it in three different ways. So if, if, if in, in way number one, it looks great, it may not look so good in the other two ways in which I've gathered the information that tells me that you didn't tell me the truth in the beginning because the numbers never lie, right? Now it's time to renegotiate. All right, so moving on. Your inventory of all property on the premises, right? Everything, because you're going you're gonna to own stuff. You know, if uh, the refrigerators, maybe you've got dishwashers in there. Um, if in, in your office, whatever office equipment, if you have an on-site office, you're going to have computers, desks, chairs, file cabinets, printers. Um, you're going to have all these things. Maybe they own the washer and dryers. You know, maybe they own the vending machines. Maybe there's just, there's, there's a lot of property on the premises that they own. Well, there's a value to that. There's a value to that. And you need to know what that is, right? So if they're selling it to you, are, are they calculating it in there or are they not calculating it in there? It's completely up to them to say, hey, uh, you know, here's what we own, but it's not in the price because, you know, we, we don't, we just want to, you know, sell the property based on this. Or maybe they're bumping the price up because of the property that's there. Or maybe they want to take all the property with them, you know. <laughs> We've only seen situations where they wanted to take the office equipment, not the refrigerators, but we definitely have seen those situations. Um, but you, you want to know that kind of stuff. Maybe you don't want the computers anyway. Maybe you don't want the cameras they put around the property. Maybe they do. Um, maybe you have a different system that you want to put in, but you still want an accounting of the, inf uh, of the property that is on the property, right? Okay. Uh, let's go on to the next one here. All right, so we have copies of the trailing 36 months utilities bill. Why 36 months, you say? 36 months? Well, 36 months is because you want to see if there's been any hikes, right? If there's been uh, a bump in the spring or in the wintertime and what that looks like, right? Because if you're paying any utilities, you want to know what that is. Maybe, you, maybe they're paying the utilities, but you want to come in and individually meter each one of these properties based on the information that you're uh, uh, receiving. If you see these huge spikes in water in the summer, you don't want to necessarily do that because you can't, you're not going to charge more for rent in the summer than you do in the other months because there's a spike in water. If you're not going to individually meter those properties though, or those units though, you will have an increase in rent to compensate for those two or three months of increased water bills, but you want to know what that is. If on average, the water bill was $15 a month more in the summer, then you're going to want to take that $15 or $20 and spread it out over a year 
and increase those rents by that much. You know, maybe you go up in the rents $5 a month to compensate you for the cost of water that you're paying, right? Whatever the case, but it's telling you what you need to do. Those numbers are telling you what you need to do. You want 36 months because it shows you a pattern and they can get you that 36 months very easily. So they may not have it on hand, but they can very easily call up the utility company and request for these things to be emailed out to them, which would allow you to have them, I don't know, within a couple of weeks at least, right? So you're gonna ask for 30 days. Uh, if, the, if, if the information comes in slow, you're gonna ask for a 15 to a 30 day extension. If you're doing your contracts properly, you're gonna ask for those extensions if you need them based on how fast or how slow this documentation is coming back to you. It's better if they say, you know, for certain things, look, I'm never going to be able to get you that. I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have it. So you can just move on to, you know, the next line item, right? And you can start working it from there. But those 36 months of utility bills are going to show you any spikes in any service that's being used. So you can determine what it is you want to do or how you can fix that. Because these are the bills that you're going to wind up paying, right? You're asking them for the utility bills that they pay. Water is a big one, especially if you have a laundry room, you know, or if they're not individually metered for water. That is a huge, huge uh, expense for you. And so at that point, you can begin to weigh in individually metering what the cost is for individually metering these properties and how long it's going to take you to recoup that money based on the an increase in rent or just not having to pay that altogether over time. When, when is your break even point and how, basically how much value that's going to add to your bottom line? Because, hey, listen, if it costs you, you know, 1500 bucks, $2,000 to individual a unit to individually meter these units, you know, yes, it'll probably take you. I mean, if you're paying the water, if you're paying the water bill, it'll probably take you five years four to five years before you're going to get caught up on that. But it's worth it if you're planning on holding this thing over time. Even if you plan on selling it, it's going to your, it's going to your bottom line. It's increasing the value of your property, period, point blank. So that's why 36 months is so important. And you want to make sure you're looking at that as well. All right, so getting to the next one here. Schedule of <clears throat> schedule and description of all current and pending litigation pertaining to the property. Now, these things happen and they happen quite frequently. You know, people slip and fall. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but there's litigation. There are, maybe you didn't give someone back their um, deposit because they left the property, you know, a shambles and they went out and they got an attorney to get it back or, or they, you know, self-filed, you know, they did a, you know, or pro se filing and they're suing you and you have to, you know, show up in court. You want to know those things because even though that property is being sold from that person to you, you are now the one assuming that liability. So you want to know what it is because depending on what it is, it could be a real problem for you or it could be something that you can handle quite easily. It just depends on what it is, but knowing is the most important aspect of being able to handle that problem, right? So 
you want to ask about those things. If they don't, if they say, hey, look, there is no litigation and later something comes up, you know, that's something that you can litigate for sure uh, against them time going, you know, as time goes on very, very, very easily, you'll be able to do that. But, you know, you do want to know and you want to ask if they say no and there is something, you know, they, they have committed, you know, some what I would consider to be some serious legal offenses and any lawyer would as well. And they would be going after them because they would sign off on the documentation that none of those things were actually had actually occurred when in fact, maybe they were. So you need to know what that information is. Okay. So listen, if I keep going, we're going to be here for, I don't know, probably another 45 minutes. Right? So, what I want to do here is we're going to, we're going to break this down into two parts. So that's the first part of the, or first half of the due diligence checklist. If you want to know more, just go uh, into the description of this. If you're watching it on YouTube, it's in the top line there. If you're seeing it, um, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, just scroll into the description and you'll see it there as well. You can download this, utilize it in your business, take advantage of it. You know, these are things that you're really going to want to know more about and make sure you tune in next week. So as I go through the second half of this, you have a very clear understanding of some of the things you're going to need to ask for and how those things are going to be applicable to your business and your financing opportunities. So this is your man, Jason Miles. Thank you so much. Real Estate 360, we love you. Make sure you continue to tune in and uh, thanks for your support. I'll see you next week. Peace.